Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for our time together this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be here on the screen in front of you in just a moment. Now, if you're here today for the first time, we welcome you, and we are thrilled that you're here. If you've been here recently, you know that we are in a sermon series entitled, Called to Commit. Called to Commit. And we're looking specifically at God's calling for us to commit, first and foremost, to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have a relationship with Jesus. But out of that relationship, we also begin to understand the importance of commitment to the church. We live in a day, frankly, where it can be very difficult for us to even define what a church is. Sometimes we define a church by its location and we say, well, there is the building and that's where you know, the church is, so to speak. Maybe we define a church by their statement of beliefs or their creed. Maybe we define a church by their good works in a community and their kind of force for good, if you will, throughout the world. And we would look and say, well, that is the church. But the word church is a very simple word in the Greek that simply means an assembly of called out ones. It's an assembly of people who've been called out. But the good news is, is that when God calls us, he doesn't just call us out and leave us there. He calls us out of something to call us into something. So literally the church is every single person who has believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It means that we've been called out of darkness and called into light. We've been called out of sin and into the gift of salvation. We've been called out of death and we've been called unto life. And so the church, that's what it is. Now, the Bible talks about the church in two different ways. It talks about it in the sense of a larger, the big capital C, the larger church. The larger church is every believer from every age, from every nation, from every denomination, so to speak, uh, young and old alike, those that are already in heaven, those that will be today for that matter or will be in the future. Literally, the, the larger church is the entire body of Christ. The larger church is true of every believer. At the very moment of salvation, you are brought into the larger church. But the wonderful truth of Scripture is that God doesn't just give us a larger church. He calls us to a local church. A local church is that local body of believers where we commit together uh, to follow the Lord. We commit together to encourage each other and build up the body of Christ. We commit together to accomplish the purpose and the mission that God has given us to. The fact of the matter is the local church is very important. In fact, of the over 110 times that the word church is used in the New Testament, over 90 of those times, it literally is speaking directly in context of a local church. Literally, God has designed it so that through the local church, it is there that we publicly profess faith in Christ through baptism. It is through the local church that we corporately participate in the Lord's Supper. It is through the local church that we exercise our spiritual gifts. It is through the local church that we practice biblical accountability. And it is through the local church that we partner together to fulfill 
our mission. In other words, God is calling us all through the New Testament to understand this calling of commitment, first and foremost, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then secondly, to the church that he loves and gave himself up for her. No doubt about it, when you study the teachings and the writings of the Apostle Paul, every one of his letters, they're written either directly to a specific local church or to a minister who was ministering in a local church. The local church and our commitment to it is important. Why? Why was it such a focus of Paul's letters? Why was it such an importance even in 2 Corinthians, as we'll see in just a moment? I believe it's important because of this. It is through each church and their identified members that the early church selected deacons. It is through the local church that they appointed elders. It is through the local church that they sent out missionaries. It is through the local church that they practiced church discipline. And it's through the local church that they walked in grace and love towards one another. In fact, of the 27 books in the New Testament, 19 of them directly reference and give instruction concerning the local church. I believe what God is calling us to see today, even further, is this calling of commitment. And we've seen that in the context of Christ, how he loved the church and gave himself up for her. We've seen the commitment of the ministers and how the shepherds are to to serve as overseers in the context of the body of Christ. We've seen the commitment of the members and what that looks like as we work together and make up the body of Christ. But today I want us to see a, a fourth component about the church. And frankly, if you hear one component of the entire thing, I hope and pray that you will hear this loud and clear because I believe as a church we need to hear it and it's a timely message. And that is this morning as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, the church and its mission. The church and its mission. If you're physically able, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Beginning in verse 14, listen to what the apostle Paul says. He says these simple words. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. Stop there for just a moment to understand that Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to people who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, I want you to understand at the heart of everything else I'm going to say, I want you to know the basis for it all is the love of Jesus Christ. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he, Jesus, died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, can you say in Christ? We're going to talk about that in a moment. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's committed to us. The word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for your word. God, I pray today 
that you would speak to every single one of our hearts and our lives. God, I pray that our eyes would be open to see. I pray that our ears would be open to hear. And God, I pray that we would be surrendered to you. God, I pray today that you would do such an amazing work, that you would transform us, that you would convict us, and that you would change us however you see fit. And God, I humbly ask and pray that you would begin that work in me. God, would you work in me and would you work in us all for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated this morning. The church and its mission. The church and its mission. As we begin this message this morning, I want to ask you two questions. The first question is probably a question of knowledge and of information, but the second question is one of examination or maybe one of application in your life. The two questions are this. Number one, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? And then the second question, more of examination, is this. Are you committed to the mission of the church? Are you committed to the mission that Jesus Christ gave his church? This morning, as we read in 2 Corinthians, we are reading a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote specifically to one local church. But he goes on to describe that even though this letter was written directly to this specific local church, it was intended for all the believers throughout the region and ultimately even for us today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, here's how Paul opens up the letter. He literally tells us that this letter was, and I quote, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, but it's with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. In other words, the apostle Paul was saying, I am writing this letter directly to this local church, but then I want this letter to be taken and spread all throughout the region, take it to every church, take it to every believer. And even here today in 2020, we have the words that God gave through the apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians. I believe wholeheartedly everything that follows in this book has a local church context and application as God was calling the church then and he's calling the church today to be committed to his mission. What is that mission? Jesus said it plainly in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said, go into all the world. This is the mission and preach the gospel to all creation. Here's the mission that God gives us as a church. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That word gospel is a very simple word that simply means good news. Go into all the world and take the good news of the gospel through all creation. Take it everywhere you go. Share the good news. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I like good news. Anybody else with me? Anybody enjoy getting good news? I like good news so much that if someone calls me and says, Pastor, I got good news and bad news. I'll say, well, I don't want to hear the bad news. Just tell me the good, okay? I like good news. It's easy when we have good news to want to share that with other people. Yesterday afternoon, we were home and we received a message from Alabama. My little nephew who's playing basketball, I believe for the first time throughout the whole season, he's been playing and he's been learning. And yesterday, he got the MVP award of the game for the way that he kept stealing the ball from the other team. And he called to let us know. He showed us literally his turnover chain that he got that said MVP. He wanted to share the good news. I got a text message from a good buddy who I will not say for the name because he'll probably be tuning in later, who sent me the message that there's a referee from a football game from the Alabama-Georgia game from five years ago who's now admitted that they blew a call and therefore the Georgia Bulldogs lost the game. And so he sent me the message to let me know the good news that for all these years he's been right. And I said, quit crying like a baby. But anyway, <laughs> we all like good news. We want to receive it. And the fact of the matter is when we have good news, it's hard to keep it to ourselves. We want to share it. Well, the Bible tells us that the gospel for us, it's more than merely good news. It is our mission. 
If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, our mission, our calling, our purpose is to take the good news throughout all creation. The question remaining for us is very simple. We know what the good news is. We know that that good news should go literally to everyone in our house. It should go to everyone in our street. It should go to the people that we work with. It should go to the people literally to every corners of the earth. The question then is this, are we truly committed to doing that? Are we fulfilling that mission of taking the good news to the ends of the world? This morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe there are four things that God wants us to see about the church and its mission. And I pray today that we'll be receptive and that God will move and speak in a powerful way in our lives. Number one, I want you to see this from the text. I want you to see loud and clear the motivation of the gospel. The motivation of the gospel. The Bible tells the gospel is this good news. Everything about the gospel, the background of it, the substance of it, the experience of it, the commissioning of it, it all has one key motivation. And Paul tells us here in verse 14, what does he say? He says, here's the motivation. For the love of Christ controls us. The motivation of the gospel is the very love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that the apostle Paul said, this love doesn't just influence me. It doesn't just affect me. It doesn't just impact me. It controls me. Now, we like to think about love in our culture. We are a a hopelessly romantic society. If you don't believe that, just how in the world are we keeping Hallmark in business, okay? Like we, we are. We like to think of love in the way that it influences us. Well, I experience love and therefore I feel this way. I experience love and therefore I I have these affections or I have these feelings or I have these thoughts. It impacts us. It affects the way that we behave and the way that we think. But the Apostle Paul doesn't say this love influences me. He says, no, this love controls me. And the idea here is literally because Christ's love is so superior, it controlled him in such a way that it led the Apostle Paul to do things that he otherwise wouldn't do. It led the Apostle Paul to places of discomfort. It led the Apostle Paul to places of inconvenience. It led the Apostle Paul to places even of suffering and persecution, and yet he willingly did it because of the love of Christ that controlled him. Think of that for just a moment. The Apostle Paul in his right mind would have never chosen the suffering that he experienced, the persecutions that he faced being beaten and being stoned and being shipwrecked and facing trials and all those different things. And yet he willingly went through them. In fact, in Philippians chapter one, he tells us, listen, I will do this gladly so that the gospel may go forward, so that souls will be saved, so that lives will be changed. Why? Because he was controlled by the love of Jesus Christ. Of course, the image there is of Christ on the cross. The image is one of a sacrifice of the extent that Jesus would willingly go to the cross. It's the picture here of the cost that Jesus would pay ultimately to demonstrate his love for all the world. I'm reminded of Jesus' love, not only on the cross, but also in his message and in his life, his his lifestyle, his example, if you will. In Luke chapter 4, as Jesus began his earthly ministry one day, he went up into the synagogue. And he went to the synagogue, the The scribes that were there, they gave him a scroll. It was of the the prophet Isaiah who'd lived a little over 600 years before this moment. Jesus opens the scroll and by God's divine plan, he begins to read in the book of Isaiah and it's quoted in Luke chapter four. Listen to what happened. The Bible says this. Jesus opens the scroll and he reads aloud these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to who? To the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to who? the captives, and the recovery of sight to who? The blind 
and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were literally fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. There were many that day who mocked Jesus in that moment. There were many that rejected Jesus in that moment. There were many even then who wanted to find a way to get rid of him because they knew in that moment that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be the, the savior of the world. The uh, prophet Isaiah, 600 years ago, was speaking of this moment. And today I've come, I'm here to save all who will believe in me. But please don't miss in this moment what Jesus was also saying. He was also saying that his purpose, his mission, the reason that he came was literally to minister to the poor, to captives, the blind, and the oppressed. He came for the very ones that society looked down upon, the very ones that society rejected, the very ones that the Pharisees looked down at and said, you'll never be good enough. You'll never amount to anything. Look at what you've done. Look at all these things that have been done against you. You're not good enough. Jesus came to minister to those very people. So compassionate was Christ. So much was his love for all that one day the Bible tells us that Jesus went to the home of a tax collector. Now, can I just say to you this morning that a tax collector in that day was about as loved as a tax collector today, okay? Nobody really liked the tax collectors in that day, but they especially didn't because tax collectors in that day, everybody knew it, they were thieves, when they were collecting taxes, they would raise the rates, not so that the government would get a better piece, but so that they could take the extra and put it in their own pocket. They were common thieves, very sophisticated thieves in that day. People hated tax collectors. What did Jesus do? Mark chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Who, do they, who does he think he is? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, listen to this and let it soak in. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So pastor, what are you saying? Do you see the compassion of Christ? He's not arrogant. He's not boastful. He's not going to the elites of the day and creating this separate society. No, you know what he's doing? He's going to the, the outcasts. He's going to the lonely. He's going to the despised. He's going to the broken. He's going to the poor. They're literally the people that the culture said were not good enough. Those are the very people that Jesus went to. His love, we see it so clearly in action. But church, may I submit to you this morning that our mission in taking the good news of the gospel must be motivated by the same love that we see demonstrated in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are controlled by the love of Christ, we will cease to be a church and settle for merely being a religious organization. But God didn't call us to be a religious organization with all sorts of rules and all sorts of policies that we're policing and making sure that everybody's doing this or that. No, he called us instead to be the living church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are an assembly of called out ones. We've been called out of darkness into light. We've been called out of literally death into life. And the reality is, is since we've been called out, God help us to have a heart of compassion and mercy for the very ones that are still in darkness who also need to experience the same life and transformation that we've experienced in Christ. Being called out, this is our mission. But I must tell you this morning, 
There's a sobering warning that I believe the church in America needs to hear today. And that is this. The sobering warning that we must all hear is loud and clear. The longer a Christian is in the church, we face the danger of becoming churched instead of being the church. The longer a Christian is in the church, we face the danger of becoming churched instead of being the church, this assembly of called out ones that are fulfilling the mission that God has called us to. Please understand this morning, it is so important according to Acts chapter 2 verse 42 that we are committed to being a local church for fellowship and for encouragement, for accountability, for edification so that we may grow in our relationship with the Lord. However, if we are always in the church, if we're always within the facility, if we're always in that community, if we're always always within those walls, then we will never be out in the world. But frankly, it's more comfortable inside the walls. It's a lot easier inside the walls. I can, I can value my preferences inside the walls. But we must remember that the longer we've been saved, the more and more we feel comfortable with other believers. However, we must not value our comforts and our preferences over our purpose as a church. Think of this for a moment. Our comforts often drive our focus inward, but it must be the compassion of Christ that drives us to focus outward. So as a church, instead of being consumed with those who are here, we are called to be concerned about those who aren't here. Let that sink in for a moment. Please understand, I love you. Please understand, I love fellowshipping with you. I love spending time with you. I love talking with you. Whenever the service is in on a Sunday, when, when things get done and the final amen is said, I don't leave here and think, thank God that's over. That's not how it is. I, honestly, I could stay and visit for hours and love every single second of it. I really could. I love you. But here's the reality. If all of our life is lived within the walls, we will cease to be the missionaries that Christ has called us to be as we go to the world around us. William Temple said it this way many years ago. He said it this way. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. In other words, yes, we encourage. Yes, we hold each other accountable. Yes, we challenge. Yes, we stir one another up to love and good deeds. But please understand, our primary calling and our primary purpose, our primary mission is not to just be wowed by who's here, but to have a burden and to have a heart and to have a vision for those who aren't here who still need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm convinced that many of us as believers greatly struggle with the gospel. And our struggle is not so much at times that we don't know it, though that might be a part at times. Uh, and sometimes maybe we struggle with fear. But more times than not, I think our struggle with the gospel is simply that we're distracted. We allow secondary things to become the most important things. We allow ourselves to pursue things based upon, frankly, our personal preferences and likes, and maybe even by a hinge of, uh, of conviction a little bit, but the fact of the matter is we allow secondary things to become more important than they really should. In fact, I was thinking about that recently as I was thinking about some of the conversations I've had recently with, with Christians. And I, don't, and I don't mean this rudely, I don't mean this harshly at all, but I do want us to kind of grasp this for, for, for perspective to understand like, like the gospel is the main thing. The mission and the ministry of the gospel, taking the good news all, that is the main thing. But it's not the main thing we're talking about. 
It's not the main thing we're acting on. And I'm not just speaking that of crossing. I mean the church in America today. There's a reason there's such a decline. But think of this for just a moment. Listen closely. If you have recently been more concerned about the Second Amendment and your rights than you are about the lost in this community, something's wrong. Now, now I have my personal preferences there, and I practice those personal preferences there, and I'll speak up for it, but here's the reality. If I'm more concerned about the Second Amendment than I am the fact that there are thousands of people who live in this county who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and there are billions throughout the world who've never even heard the name of Jesus, then something is wrong. There's a problem. I know this is hard, but think of this. If I am more concerned about the fact that Pelosi tore up a speech than I am that the gospel message has not gotten to the ends of the world, then something is wrong. There is a problem. If, if, the, if my focus is so called up on what President Trump tweeted or didn't tweet, if, if my focus is completely there, more so than it is about the burdens around me and the needs around me and the gospel that needs to be heard around me, something is wrong. And I believe ultimately we, we have allowed ourselves to, to accept a culture where we're pursuing all these secondary things when the main thing is being missed. Please understand, when, when, I, when a person stands before God in eternity, when I stand before God in judgment, God's not gonna say, what did you do with the second amendment? I'm not trying, I'm, it's kind of humorous, but seriously? Did you post that on social media about Pelosi? God, you even know her name? I'm, I mean, I'm like, I'm really like, I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I needed some comic relief for myself, okay? Like, seriously. I'm not saying those things are unimportant, but they're not the most important thing. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is what's important and what matters. And so we must understand the motivation for the gospel is the love of Christ. God help us to love people like Jesus loves people. God help us not to be distracted by all the craziness and chaos, even in D.C. or in the world around us, but to focus on the heart and the need of the people around us who need Jesus more than anything. The hope of the world is not your political party. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing I want you to see then, on that note, I want you to see the message of the gospel. The motivation, it's the love of Christ. What is the message of the gospel? Paul summarizes it in verses 14 and 15. Here it is, that one died for all. Verse 15, he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What he's basically giving us here is the truth, the message of the gospel. Please understand, there are many believers who do not feel confident in sharing the gospel. That is a simple fact. It has been estimated in current cultures that over 90% of believers are not confident in the gospel, not at least confident enough to share the gospel. Maybe the thought of sharing the gospel makes them anxious or uncomfortable. Maybe they don't feel like they know what it is. I, I don't really know what the gospel is, so how exactly do I proclaim it? Sometimes people don't share because they, they feel pressure about it. They think in that process, well, if I share the gospel, they're gonna ask questions. And if they ask questions, I have to know every answer, right? So I, I'm not gonna share because I don't have every answer and, and I don't know, you know, if I can get Pastor Matthew on his cell phone to answer everybody's questions, you know, like I, 
Some of us feel pressure. We, we, we don't share the gospel because we think it's like giving a speech. You know, it's got to be clear and polished and it's got to be like five points. And there's a lot of reasons that we don't feel confident in sharing the gospel. Please understand that one of Satan's main attacks against believers is to bring you a place where you are not confident about the gospel. Why? Because there's a spiritual battle that takes place. The very last thing that Satan wants you to do is to share the good news with others. That's the very last thing he wants you to do. So the gospel, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and according to other passages of scripture, is so very simple. Here's the gospel. The gospel is the fact that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to what the apostle Paul says as he basically tells them in verses one and two, here is the gospel that I received and I delivered unto you. Listen to what he says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Listen to this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Can y'all just say with me, Jesus died. That is the first point of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. Can you say Jesus was buried? Jesus was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Can you say Jesus rose again? The gospel message is so simple. It is so simple. It is a simple reality. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and he rose again. The whole motivation of the context of 1 Corinthians 15 is telling us this simple point. Jesus died on the cross, he was buried in the tomb, and he rose again from the grave so that you can believe, so that you can have life, so that you can be transformed, so that you can be changed by the power of God. The gospel message is so very simple. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is nothing less, and it is nothing more. It is nothing less, and it's nothing more. It's nothing less. It's important for people to understand that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. He didn't die on the cross because he felt like it. He didn't die on the cross because you're a pretty good person. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. It's nothing less. He was buried. Why? Because he died. His own mother helped prepare his body for burial. He literally died and Jesus rose again. Nothing less than that. He appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Nothing less than that. But also nothing more than that. See, the fact is we live in a culture today where many will look at the gospel and say, but it's not enough. Oh, it's good that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, but... If you're really going to be saved, you have to evidence it in all these other ways. If you're really going to be saved, you have to live this way. You have to do this thing. You have to say no to this. You have to have all these outward actions, and then we'll really know that you're saved. Please understand, it's not man's determination to determine whether you're saved. It's God's relationship with you. Even in Paul's day, in the book of Galatians, Paul's writing to a church who had received the gospel. They had been transformed. They had been saved because they believed in Jesus, that he died, was buried, and rose again. But there were people within the church that came up. They were like Pharisees. They were legalists. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's true. Jesus died, buried, and rose again. That's true. You got to believe that. But you also have to do this and this, and, and then you'll be saved. Then you'll, have the, you'll really know that you're saved. Please understand. The gospel plus anything is a distortion of the truth. Here's what the apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter one. He said, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've already see, received, he is to be what? 
accursed. He goes on in verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. I wasn't educated in this. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Go back and read Galatians chapter 1, because in the following verses, here's what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul says, so even if I start adding to the gospel, consider me accursed. Because I'm getting focused on man-made religion. The gospel is simple. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Paul goes on to say, if even an angel from God adds anything to this, let him be accursed. Because the gospel has been preserved. It is simple. The simple message, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all who receive it by faith will be saved. That's the message of the gospel. Third thing I want you to see is the miracle of the gospel. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? The miracle of the gospel. I love these next few verses. Verses 16 through 17. They point to us, they point us to the power of the gospel, what it does in our life. Please understand. Good news can influence you and impact your life. But there is no good news that can do in and through your life what the gospel can do. You can get the good news that you want a prize. And you might be excited. Oh, I've never won a prize before. And you'll be excited about that, and you might remember that. But in time, guess what? It's going to kind of lose its luster and its feeling a little bit. In fact, the prize will either be ruined or it'll sit on the shelf and collect dust. I don't know, but the fact of the matter is it'll come and go. You might get a phone call and get the good news that a long, long distant family member that you didn't even know you were related to left you a huge inheritance, millions of dollars. And if you do, remember your pastor. That's all I'm saying, okay? Like, <laughs> now, you might get that news and be like, whoo, this is awesome. And you might live like the richest man in the world to the day you die. But here's a reality. When you die, you will not take it with you. You won't. You might get the incredible good news that you are having a baby. And it is life-changing news. It is. It will bring some joy. It will bring, there will be some fulfillment that comes with that. It will be a blessing. But here's the reality. As wonderful as that relationship is, there's nothing that relationship in your life can do to bring about a spiritual relationship with God. There's some good news that impacts our life, but it can't do for us what the gospel can do. What does the gospel do? The good news of the gospel does some radical things in our life. And i got to speak them quickly, but I hope, you'll, I hope they'll encourage you and challenge you this morning. The first thing I want you to see is that the gospel changes our identity. I want you to consider who we are today in Christ. This is awesome. Verse 16, the Bible says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Now look at verse 17, the first statement. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. The context of what we're reading in these verses is all found in that first phrase of verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. This phrase, in Christ, I asked you to say it out loud a moment ago because it's one of Paul's key characteristics and how he described those who are followers of Jesus. Before faith in Christ, I was not in Christ. Before I believed in Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, before then, the Bible says literally that I was separated from God. Before I believed in Jesus Christ, literally, the Bible says because of my sin, literally, I was not only separated from God, but I was literally an enemy of Christ. 
But the Bible says Jesus came. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again from the grave. And the very moment someone believes in Jesus and confesses him with their mouth to be the Lord of their life, to take control of their life and lead them from that day forward, the very moment you believe in Jesus and confess him as Lord, the Bible says you're forgiven and you're saved, but you're also adopted into the family of God. You're no longer separated from God. You are literally positioned in Christ, adopted into his family. Now, for those who are in Christ, God has a word for us in verse 16. Who are you in Christ? Notice what the scripture says. Therefore, we no longer recognize anyone according to the flesh. We no longer recognize no one according to the flesh. In other words, maybe another way of translating that would be this. We are no longer known by what we were in the flesh. Now think of that for just a moment. How were you known in the flesh before Christ? You may not have called yourself this, but the simple reality is, is that we were not a good people before Christ. Actually, by show of hands, I've asked you this before. I don't want to embarrass you, but we'll kind of piddle around with it a little bit. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever told a single lie in your life? Second question, how many lies does it take for you to commit to become a liar? Just one. You know what that means? It means that I've told a lie. I'm a liar. How many of you ever at any point in your life have ever stolen anything? It might have been a piece of candy from the convenience store. It might have been a dollar from your daddy's wallet when he wasn't looking. It might have been a cookie from the cookie jar when your mama wasn't looking. But you've stolen something in your life. Anybody? How many things do you have to steal to be considered a thief? Just one. I'm doubly guilty. I not only stole candy from a convenience store, I sold a country music CD when I was nine years old from a little pharmacy. I did. My dad caught me in it. True story. Thief. Oh, here's a hard one. Anybody ever had a hateful thought towards somebody? I mean, you hated somebody. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, if you've hated them in your heart, you've already committed murder. You know what that means? It means I'm a serial killer. Just making sure you're awake. Now listen, in my flesh, that's who I am. In my flesh, I was in my flesh. A thief, I was a murderer, I was an adulterer. That's who I was in my flesh. It's amazing how even, even, even in the context of how we used to live before Christ, it's amazing how many people outside of Christ, even themselves identify themselves by who they are in their flesh. When I was in high school and playing baseball and not living for the Lord in those early years, man, I literally, I had buddies who, they defined themselves by how many girls they were with, how many beers they could hold, how, how many drugs they could try and, and be crazy and do stupid stuff. I remember, they defined themselves by that way. Here's the reality. When you believe in Jesus Christ and accept the gospel by faith, when you confess Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, you're not only forgiven, you're not only saved, you're not a change, you are brought in Christ, you're positioned in him. And as a result of that, listen, Satan may try to condemn you, but in the eyes of God, you are not known according to your flesh. God doesn't see me as the liar, the thief, the adulterer, and the murderer that I was. He sees me as clothed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The power of the gospel, the incredible miracle of it, is that now I am in Christ, I am not known according to the flesh. Let that sink in. So when Satan reminds you of who you were, stand firm today and who you are in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says it this way, Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
Listen, when we begin to understand who we are in Christ, we begin to recognize it's not about who we used to be by God's grace. It's who we are today in Christ. Even my buddies back in that day when all those things were going on, they knew me because of my attitude. And they knew my attitude was bad. They knew that I was hateful. They knew that my mouth was horrible. They knew that I, I had a deep bitterness in my heart and life. And it came out through my speech. But can I tell you, the moment I believed in Jesus and the moment I confessed him as Lord, God began to put in my heart a, a heart compassion for people and a love for people and a love to serve people and a love to bless people. And literally God changed me. It wasn't about what I did. It was about what God did in me. He was when I became in Christ. I was no longer long known according to the flesh. I was known for who I was in Christ. The fact of the matter is all this morning who believe in Jesus, we are transformed and we are changed. It is the miracle of the gospel. Secondly, I want you to consider what I am in Christ, what you are in Christ. Verse 17, I'll say it quickly. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have Come, notice you aren't a renewed creation. You aren't a repaired creation. Contrary to what some would say today, you aren't your best you. You're a new you. Someone say, oh, when Christ saves you, he gives you the best version of you there can be. No, thank God it's not the best version of me. The old me is dead. I'm a new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that transformation is so real. The apostle Paul understood that he could look at his own life. He knew he was a persecutor. He knew that he was on the road to Damascus. He was trying to find every believer that he could, put them in jail, have them persecuted, had them beaten, ultimately had them murdered. And on the way to Damascus, literally he met the Lord Jesus Christ and he was saved and he was transformed and he was radically changed. Apostle Paul would look under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and with the confidence of the change Christ had brought to him, and he would say, so if anyone was in Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Have you experienced that change? Are you certain of it in your life? Third thing we see about the miracle of the gospel is not only how we're now seen, it's not only the fact that we're a new creation, but it's also a position that we stand in before God. I want you to consider how I now stand in Christ. Verse 18 says it this way. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. For those who believe in Jesus, how do you stand before God today? What's your position? Here's what it is. You stand before God reconciled. The word reconcile literally means to resolve and to settle. It means the conflict has been settled. The debt has been paid. The obstacle, the barrier, the hindrance has been removed. You've now been reconciled. The Apostle Paul gives us an illustration in Philemon as he's writing in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And while he's there in prison, he meets a prisoner by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus had been a servant. He had been a slave to a man by the name of Philemon. And Onesimus one day abandoned his position. He abandoned his work responsibilities. Most likely he took from that, that master and he stole from him. And literally he ran and fled with the money. And the, and the Bible makes it clear in the context that he was captured. He's put in prison. By the law, he could have been stoned to death. But there he was in prison and he meets the apostle Paul. 
The apostle Paul shares the gospel with him, tells him about Jesus, tells him how he can be forgiven, tells him how he can be saved. And Onesimus believes in Jesus and is saved and transformed. The time comes, Onesimus serves all of his time. He's getting released to go back out into the world. The apostle Paul writes a letter to Philemon. Listen to what he says. Listen to this illustration of reconciliation. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He writes this letter and says this. If then you regard me as a partner... If you consider me a friend, if you consider me, Philemon, as a brother in Christ, accept Onesimus, receive him as you would me. But what about the dedios? Listen to what the Bible says. The apostle Paul says, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. In other words, please hear me and tune out the distraction. Please hear me loud and clear. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is saying, listen, I don't owe you this debt, Philemon, but I'm willing to pay the debt. I'm willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to do whatever it takes so that the debt will be reconciled and that your relationship ultimately can be reconciled. Please understand this morning that when Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross for the sins of the world, he gave his life for you and for me. He paid a debt that he did not owe so that you and I could be reconciled to God. The miracle of the gospel is that we are made new in Christ. The miracle of the gospel is that we are no longer known according to the flesh. The miracle of the gospel is that through belief, we are reconciled to God. Fourth thing I want you to see this morning is this. It is the mission of the gospel. The mission of the gospel. I'm going to move quickly as we wrap up, but notice these verses in verses 18 and through 20. All of this is leading us to these final words. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely that Christ was reconciled in the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Notice clearly the ministry that God has called every believer to. If I were to ask you this morning, Christian, what is your ministry? I wonder what you'd say. Well, Pastor Matt, I I serve on the hospitality team. That's awesome. But that's not your primary ministry. Pastor Matt, I, I serve on the media team. I serve with the production team. I, I do these things. Pastor Matt, I serve in Kids Link. This is, this is how I use my gifts. That's great. But that's not your primary ministry. You know what was our primary ministry? According to verse 19, verse 18. The primary ministry is that God has given every believer the ministry of Reconciliation. Well, no, Pastor Matt, here's my ministry. I'm out in the community and, and I serve this organization and we do a lot of good and we're doing a lot of good causes. That's awesome. But our primary ministry as a follower of Jesus is the ministry of reconciliation. Well, how are people reconciled? Through the, what does the Bible say, verse 19? Through the word of reconciliation. What is that? It is the gospel. Our primary ministry is to literally make sure that the gospel message goes out loud and clear from our lives and through our words that we're telling people how they can be forgiven, that we're telling people how they can be saved. Paul brings us to a conclusion of verse 20 and he reminds us of our purpose, doesn't he? He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what that means, don't you? 
we are representatives of Christ. Let me ask you to consider this morning, what kind of representative of Christ are you? What kind of representative of Christ are you? We must remember we are ambassadors of Christ. So it makes me wonder, how, how does the world around us see Christ in us? I don't know about you, but I have to confess that I'm not always a representative I should be. This, this past Thursday at a basketball game when I was giving a ref a really hard time, I didn't agree. I wasn't a very good representative of Christ, and God convicted me over it. God convicted me earlier this week when I went to a local restaurant, and I was eating lunch, and it was, it was really quiet and low-key at what should have been a busy time, and on my way out and paying for the bill, I told the young lady behind the counter, I asked her, I said, is it, is it normally this slow the week? She said, no, but she said, it's good. We're gearing up for Sunday. And the way she said it sounded really negative. And I said, I said, is that a good thing? And she said, oh, no, Sundays are horrible. I said, why? She said, the church crowd. I said, really? Her exact words, they're the hardest people to please we see all week. Let that sink in for a second. That's great, I'm a pastor. She meant it. This past week, I've been building a relationship with a, a few guys here in the community, and I've been praying for an opportunity. God opened the door to share the gospel with a guy this week. I've been praying for the opportunity for a few weeks. And you know what? Bottom line is he didn't have a hard time with the gospel. You know who he had a hard time with? Us. Christians, specifically Christian businessmen that have done some things that were wrong. We are ambassadors of Christ. That's our purpose. And finally, I want you to consider the promise. Listen to this statement. I love this. Verse 21, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's the wonderful promise. When we consider our calling as representatives of Christ, when we understand the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of that message, to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth, when we understand that this morning and take that seriously, here's the wonderful promise. There's not a single person that we can go to. There's not a single person that we can share with that God can't forgive and God can't for restore and God can't transform and God can't clothe in the very righteousness of Christ. Here's the reality. God made Jesus who knew no sin, literally on the cross, to be sin on our behalf. He bore it. He literally paid for it on the cross. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, for all who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God sees me not for what I was. God doesn't even see me for how I see myself. But he sees me today through the very purity and the righteousness of Jesus himself. The only way we can experience that is by faith. Why? Because Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The question for us this morning is this. Do we truly believe the gospel? Have we accepted it by faith? And are we willing to do whatever it takes to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to love people where they are? Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. 
you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.